tonight we discuss the last of the Hasmoneans. Hopefully we get a few more people to show up here. All right. So uh, a couple of weeks back when we, when we last uh, had our session, we were discussing the civil war between Hyrcanus and Aristobulus, and that um, victory was decided by the Roman general Pompey in the year 63 when he uh, waltzed on in with basically no opposition, I mean, token opposition from Aristobulus. And he ruled in favor of Hyrcanus, that Hyrcanus would be the king uh, and the high priest, except that not really a king anymore in the sense of an independent sovereign Judea, but a vassal state, uh, a client state of Rome. Not yet totally sub- submerged into the Roman Empire, but uh, connected politically, without uh, the right to have an independent foreign policy. So Hyrcanus wins, and he's in control, but he's not really in control. Who's in control? Antipater, the Idumian governor, who was the political handler of Hyrcanus, and this was basically the reason why the Romans favored Hyrcanus over Aristobulus, because whereas Aristobulus was uh, a strong, uh, zealous nationalist who wanted to pursue an independent course for Judea under his control, Hyrcanus was basically very pliable and weak, uh, in the ha- he was putty in the hands of Antipater, and Antipater was seen as an ally of Rome, therefore Rome favored uh, the Hyrcanus team in this uh, civil war. Now, that said, um, the loser doesn't accept defeat so easily. And we discussed last time about how Aristobulus was taken as a prisoner to Rome, where he, was, he lived as a VIP, and that in 57 his son Antigonus broke free, escaped, and tried to cause trouble in Judea and uh, retake the kingdom. It failed. Um, but, interestingly enough, Antigonus was not reincarcerated, but rather was just let go free. Uh, then in 56, um, Aristobulus himself bre- breaks out of his confinement and goes to cause trouble in Judea and is unsuccessful. Successful, uh, and is sent back into, uh, to Rome as a, as a captive. Then, uh, in 49, Julius Caesar sends Aristobulus again to Judea to try to cause trouble for Pompey, because now you have Ro- Roman generals arguing with each other. There is no monolithic Rome. There rather are competing generals with using Jews to their advantage, except that Aristobulus is poisoned to death before he even has a chance to leave Rome, and his son Alexander is executed upon getting to Pompey's court. So the Aristobulus side has now been eliminated, or so you would think. But no, there's one more son, Antigonus, who's still alive and has never renounced his royal ambition and never reconciled himself to Hyrcanus winning the civil war. So here you have Hyrcanus being um, a politically moderate, uh, basically ineffective high priest with, with token political authority in Judea, but really subservient to Antipater and the Romans, notably Pompey. Except, uh, and then you have Antigonus, who's still alive on the other side of the family, who's waiting for an opportunity to cause trouble and to get back into the fray. So, in the year 47, um, Ar- Antigonus is instructed by, uh, well, complains to Julius Caesar that Hyrcanus is, is terrible and is entirely beholden to Antipater and that there's bad administration in Judea and that he should go, go there and take over. Um, the country is ripe for rebellion because uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra have been bankrupting the, this, uh, the countryside with horrible taxation in the mid-40s. 
So Antigonus has supporters among the old line nationalist Kohanim and Sadducees, uh, and just general support among the people who feel that being under the rule of the Romans is not all that pleasant. And if you could have some Jew with an independent mind who wants to have a real kingdom again, maybe it's a good idea. Remember, this is only about 16, 17, 18 years after there was a delegation that was sent to Pompeii saying, we don't want either of these two factions. Remember, there were three groups that went to Pompeii, the the ones who sided with Hyrcanus, the ones who sided with Aristobulus, and the ones who said, we don't want either of these guys. We just want to be religious Jews under a foreign rule. Well, I call those the Nature Carta group. That, that position, while popular for a time, was losing popularity. And now there are people who are waiting and itching for uh, a descendant of Aristobulus to come back and remake the Jewish kingdom. So, yeah. I, I thought that uh, Cleopatra allied herself with Julius Caesar before Mark Anthony. So Cleopatra had a child with Julius Caesar, supposedly, named Caesarian, who only lived to be 17 before he was killed. Uh, it's questionable whether or not Julius Caesar really was the father of that child, but she claimed it, uh, that he was. Uh, yes, so they were together, but she switched teams to Mark Anthony, and they died together at, after the Battle of Actium, where uh, he was bitten by an asp. Well, that's a pretty bad way to go. She was bitten by an asp. Uh, ASP. ASP. Some kind of snake. A serpent, serpent, yeah. Okay, so um, what happens next is that Antipater, um, who really is in control, appoints his sons as governors of various provinces and will try to uh, suppress any nationalist sentiment among the Jews. Herod is sent to be the governor of Galilee. Phasael, his brother, is the governor of Jerusalem. And Hyrcanus, again, is just a coin gadol who's, who's worthless. Who's, who's so not Herod, co- huh? Herod is a brother? So Herod and Phasael are brothers. He has a son also named Phasael later, so don't get confused. And Archelaus is another son of his. But, um, so Herod is in control of the, of the Galilee. His, jo- his job is to make sure that no Hasmonean nationalist tries to break through, or for that matter, that no uh, national- nationalist uh, bands of, of, of uh, brigands and highwaymen are able to uh, establish a foothold in the countryside. He's for law and order. Huh? Herod is not related to the Hasmonean yet. We will discuss in about 15 minutes exactly how he ends up related to the Hasmonean. Uh, and how rabbinic literature tries to deny that that was true. No, okay. Antipater's father was uh, was forcibly converted upon the conquest of Idumea by John Hyrcanus decades earlier. Now Her- Herod himself was the son of an Idumean father and a Nabataean mother. Religiously, he identified as a Jew for convenience sake, but was certainly not a pious Jew or a believing Jew. Um, but for pure religious purposes, he was a Jew. Okay. Now, that said, he's supposed to be the, the arm of law and order in the Galilee, and he kills. He kills people uh, who were seen as virtuous um, sons of, of the Galilee, you know, uh, pious highwaymen who were, who were doing brigandry for the sake of the, of the, of the, good, the good cause. And here was Herod slaying them without a trial, extrajudicial killings. Now, are you allowed to kill somebody without a trial? The arm of the law is supposed to have, uh, you know, Din Torah. You, supposed need to, you, need a, you need a Sanhedrin Katana at least, a, tw- a quarter 23, if not a quarter 71. Does the king, uh, I mean, don't they say about David and Shlomo, 
So he's, Herod is not a king right now. Herod is a, is a political governor appointed by uh, a, a, a pseudo-Gentile um, uh, bureaucrat working for a nominal, nominally politically relevant high priest working for the Romans. No, so let's, let's see what it says. But you're reading, you're reading from the Gemara now. Okay, so I'm about to read from the Gemara, but I could read from Josephus. There are two different versions of what happened. But Josephus it, says that these guys were really bad guys. So Josephus says that they were really bad guys, and he identifies Herod as the person who killed them, and as Herod who was the, who was the person who confronted the Sanhedrin. When we're going to read the Gemara, it's not going to say the name of Herod. It's going to say a different name, but we'll explain why that doesn't matter. Okay. So the Gemara is dealing with the question of whether or not a king can go can stand trial, or for that matter, a king can be uh, a part, participant in the court. And the Gemara says, "Melech ein dan ve'in A king doesn't judge. He's not he's not a member of the, of the tribunal, and we don't have him as one of the litigants. We don't judge the king. Why? So the Gemara gives an example. There was an incident involving the servant of Yanai, the king, who killed someone. Now, who is Yanai? Normally, that's Alexander Yanai. But in rabbinic literature, Yanai doesn't always mean Alexander Yanai. It just means a bad Hasmonean king. So, which Hasmonean kings were bad? Most of them. I mean... Once we get past uh, the, the Maccabean brothers, past Yonatan and Shimon, and maybe uh, John Hyrcanus I, everyone after that is viewed negatively in rabbinic literature. So it need not be actually Alexander Yanai, it could just be some guy who was a part of the Hasmonean chain of, of kings who is being called Yanai for convenience sake. So uh, his servant killed someone. Now, in the rabbinic tradition, Herod is identified as a servant. They never respect his authority as king, even when he actually becomes king. He's always a slave boy. It's a, a way of mocking him decades or generations later that he was nothing but a slave boy. Okay? So, he killed someone. Shimon ben Shattach, who is one of the third generation of, of Pharisaic pairs, he says to the sages, Let's put our eyes upon him and judge him. So they sent to Yanai, or this Hasmonean king, Your servant killed someone. So he wrote back, uh, So the king says, Well, do, I don't have to show up. Uh, but they responded, That if an ox scores, it's not just the ox that goes to trial, but rather the, the owner of the ox has to st- stand at the trial. Um, so you're, the, you know, you're the owner of the ox. In this case, a human being slave. So you have to stand trial. Amra Torah Yavi Bal Hashurav Yamol Shoro. Asav Yosiv Amal Shimon Ben Shatach Yana Hamelach Amol Raglacha. So Shimon Ben Shatach, as a leader of the court, says, "Yana, stand on your two feet." Viaidu Bacha. Velolafanenu Ataomed. You're not standing just before us. Laomed Lefnemi Shamar Vahaya Olam. You're standing before God in heaven, the one who created the world. Because the two litigants stand before the Lord, as the Torah says. So Amar Lo, the, the, uh, the king responded, Not as you say, but rather as your colleagues say, meaning I'm rejecting your authority to judge me, but I'm turning to your colleagues, to your left and to your right. Let's let them decide my fate. And he gives them the, the, a dirty look. So here you have a, a villain who brings you know hundreds of soldiers with him to the courtroom, is being told you're going to be you're going to stand trial, and he says, "I'm not interested in what you have to say. I want to see what these guys say." 
And meanwhile, the, guy, the, 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 the goons behind them are brandishing firearms. So what are, what are the other members of the court going to do? Are they going to chicken out? Yeah. Of course. Okay. So, Nifnili Yamino Kavshupnei Bakarka. Shimon Benchatach looks to his right, and all the other guys are twiddling their thumbs or playing with their smartphone. They don't want to look up from the, uh, to see the defendant. Nifnili Smoli looks to his left. Kavshupnei Bakarka. Again, the guys on the left are looking down. They don't want to look at the defendant. Amalem Shimon Benchatach. So, Shimon Benchatach says to them, Baalei Machshavotatem. You're people of deep thoughts, aren't you? Yavo Balmachshavot Viparal Mikem. The master of all thoughts, meaning God, will exact vengeance upon them. Miad Bagavriel Vachavtan Bakarka Vamesu. So the angel Gabriel came and smacked them all, smote them all dead. That very moment they said, In that hour we ruled, kings are no longer judged by the, by the, by the earthly tribunal. It's too dangerous. Because their, um, their influence and their, the, the, the force that they could bring to the courtroom is overwhelming and will scare the daylights out of the judges. So we don't do this anymore. Now, this story is not exactly what happened. Uh, but it's a kernel of what happened. In that Shimon ben Shatach uh, can be replaced with Shmaya. Shmaya is of the fourth Pharisaic generation. Remember, Shmaya and Avtalion are the, 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 the Rebbe's of who? Of Hillel and Shammai. So Shmaya and Avtalion are on the court here, and Josephus says that Shmaya was the one who stood up and, and had the, the chutzpah, the audacity to, to confront Herod, and said, you know, we're going to judge you like anybody else, like any other defendant. And he said, I don't think so. Um, and Herod was able to... Uh, escape prosecution because he had a letter from the governor of Syria that said to Hyrcanus, who was nominally the head of the court as the high priest, if you don't let Herod go free, there'll be a price to pay. So what did Hyrcanus do, the wimp? He said to Herod, uh, we're going to delay the trial till tomorrow, and overnight you'll skip town and you'll go free. So Hyrcanus was complicit in Herod going free. According to uh, the rabbinic literature, it was Shimon ben Shatach. According to uh, Josephus, it was Shmaya. But one sage had the courage to uh, confront this powerful man. At the time, he wasn't yet king. He was only the governor of, Sir- of, of, of the Galilee. He would become king soon enough. Okay, so that's uh, the beginning of, of Herod's controversial and career. Okay, so uh, if it was Shemaya, and if we believe the, uh, what we read in Josephus, actually, later on, when Herod uh, takes over as king in the year 37, he goes on a, a murderous rampage and kills all the members of the Sanhedrin, except for Shemaya and Avtalion, despite the fact that Shemaya was the one who stood up to him. Which doesn't really make much sense. So are we to believe that Josephus is accurate in what he's reporting? I don't know, I wasn't there. And then again, neither was Josephus. So, because um, he lived 100 years later. But that's what he claims, that, that everybody else was killed, but Shmaya and Avtalion were allowed to live. I don't know why. Okay. Um, now, what happens next? In uh, the year 42... No, no, no. People didn't have the ability to confront uh, po- politically powerful individuals who, you know, who, who got away with murder. It just you know the the average person didn't have that ability. The the, the strong were in charge. Okay, yeah. The Gemara was like four fifty A.D. Yeah. And Josephus was like a hundred years, right? Josephus was he was he writing died, in the seventies and nineties. Yeah. He died around the year hundred. Yeah. 
So I would just tend to put more faith in somebody who's recording something. Of course, yeah. hundred years than, than before. Absolutely, and plus the Gemara, the Gemara is, uh, oftentimes is not trying to tell accurate history. It's trying to give a, a, a moral lesson of some kind or a, a, a slanted version given the rabbi's attitudes towards characters from the past. Uh, so even if they had the right information, they wouldn't always uh, depict it in the way it, they knew it was. Whereas Josephus, for the most part, is trying to be accurate, but even he, on occasion, has um, uh, political motives, especially for the material that, that uh, is, covers the last two, two generations uh, in Wars of the Jews and Antiquities, because those were people who either he knew personally or were close enough in history that it matters what he writes about them. Okay, so let's continue. In the year 44, Julius Caesar is murdered. And uh, for the next two years, you have rule in the, in the Roman Empire by uh, his murderers, by um, those who uh, opposed, who were opposed by Augustus or Octavian and Antony. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated time in terms of political alliances. What happens to Herod at this time? So he offers a, a, a big bribe and is is able to retain his position as a military leader and as a governor. Um, and he goes, uh, his father is actually assassinated, Antipater is assassinated by someone named Melech, who was aspiring to become a prominent figure in Judea. And Herod is able to uh, avenge his father's death uh, by hiring assassins to kill the guy. And he takes over Antipater's position as the leader of the Idumean faction and as the leader of the, um, the Roman allies who basically manipulate the Hasmoneans. He is now the man behind the scenes who's going to manipulate Hyrcanus. Um, in 42, you have the Battle of Philippi, where the murderers of Julius Caesar are eliminated and the National Party in, in Israel thinks this is an opportunity to get rid of the Herodians, get rid of the Idumeans, and bring back uh, a true loyal son of the Hasmonean dynasty. And who's the only one left? Antigonus. So Antigonus tries to fight a war. He's defeated by Herod, temporarily. That's in the year 42. That's because he didn't have strong backing behind him. He needs a powerful army to oust the Romans and to oust Herod. Well, who's, in there, who's out there in the world who could possibly oust the Romans? Egyptians. Not the Egyptians. The Parthians. the Parthians, correct. The Parthians have always had uh, plans to attack to the west and recover territory that had been lost and extend their borders further and further to the west, just as the Romans had for years intentions to attack the Parthians and conquer Babylonia. Persia. 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 Persia, Mesopotamia. So finally, they weren't Turkish at all. Uh, well, they had uh, intentions to conquer parts of Asia Minor, but they're basically Persian but Mesopotamian. So, in forty, with the with the support of the Parthians, whose support he was able to get by by paying a massive bribe of gold and female sex slaves, um, Antigonus was was able to oust the Roman uh, uh, officers from Jerusalem and from the Judean province, and put the uh, uh, Antipater's children to the run. One child, Faisal, was killed, or rather was forced to commit suicide. Herod fled to Masada, and then fled to Egypt, 
where Cleopatra offered to make him a general in her army, and he refused. And he traveled to Rome, at great danger to him, okay, because he didn't know if he'd be popularly received in Rome. But Herod is now out, and Antigonus is in. Is Antigonus a good guy? No. He may be a Jew, he may be a patriot, he may be a, a, a nationalist, but he's far from a good guy. In the Qumran tradition of the Dead Sea sect, there are two very famous people who don't have a name. There is the teacher of righteousness and the priest of wickedness. The teacher of righteousness, the Morat Tzedek, probably lived in the 150s before the Common Era and may have been the high priest in the temple in that uh, period of time when there, was no, when there supposedly was no high priest after Alcimus and before Jonathan. Okay? He was the founder of their sect. And they ran away to the wilderness because the temple was polluted by these uh, corrupt, either Hellenistic high priests or the corrupt Hasmonean dynasty that didn't have the right to serve. So the Qumran sect doesn't like the Hashmonaim. Well, of all the various Hashmonaim to serve as high priest, one of them they liked the least was Antigonus. And he was known as the wicked one for his three-year rule of 40 to 37. He was probably a Sadducee, not a Pharisee, which would make sense given the uh, tendency towards uh, uh, poli- uh, right-wing political views among the Sadducees. And he uh, ruled with an iron fist. He holds the office of king and the office of Kohen Gadol simultaneously, which had been the tradition in the days of his grandfather, uh, his father, his uncle, his grandfather. Okay, But his rule is very short because Herod has other intentions. Herod's not giving up so easily. He wants to be the king of Judea. Well, number one, he wants to survive, which he does by running away. But he wants to be the king of Judea. He is able to justify being the king of Judea by uh, mentioning to the Roman Senate the good work he did on their behalf, in suppressing any re- rebellions throughout the 40s in, uh, in, in, in the countryside, and also that he is related to the Hasmoneans, that he has royal blood, or if not royal blood, he's married to royal blood. Who is he married to? Mariamne. So Mariamne. Who is Mariamne? Now we get to where it gets really gruesome. So if, if, the, if the study of Jewish history is supposed to be the study of pious people who studied Torah and did good deeds, this is the exact opposite. We're now going to discuss the most gruesome killings of, uh, of family members and the most horrible acts by, the, by Jewish leadership ever. Okay, Mariamne is the daughter of Alexander and Alexandra. Let's get the name straight. Alexandra was the daughter of Hyrcanus II. Alexander was the son of Aristobulus II. So the two guys who, who were in civil war with each other, brothers who fought for the throne, they were machatunim also, not just brothers. Their children married each other. First cousins married each other. Okay? Now, Alexander was long dead. He died in 48, having been, having been executed uh, by Pompey's army. Alexandra is still very much alive. Her daughter, Mariamne, marries uh, uh, Herod, in the year 42, or at least they get engaged in the year 42. The, the, the marriage wasn't, wasn't uh, consummated for another five years. Why does Herod get to marry Mariamne? Because in 42, when Antigonus had a failed attempt to invade the country and take over, Hyrcanus was uh, grateful to Herod 
for the fact that Herod uh, repulsed this invasion, allowing Hyrcanus himself to remain high priest for, for a few more years. And so as a reward for Herod's good work, he offered the beautiful Mariamne uh, to Herod in marriage. Mariamne was supposedly the most beautiful girl in the whole country. That's what they say. Like she was to, to, to Judea what Cleopatra was to Egypt. Why didn't they get married right away? Why okay, so uh, Alexandra, the mother of Mariamne, was against the Shidduch. Um, and she'll be against even more, more so later on when we see what happens to other members of the family. Uh, but she didn't, she didn't favor it. She was not in favor of it. Mariamne herself was probably indifferent to the idea of marrying Herod. Uh, but girls didn't always have the say over who they got to marry back in those years. Now, it, the, the marriage wasn't consummated because Herod was on the run for, for a period of time, had to go to Rome, has to come back and sort of re- recover his, his so-called wife. Um, it takes time. But the fact that they got engaged, or Kiddushin, was working in Herod's favor that he is connected to a royal family. He's connected to a royal family. Let's now read what the Gemara has to say about this. The Gemara Baba Basra says the following. Hurdus avda debate chashmonai hava. Herod was the slave of the Hasmonean family. Again, throughout rabbinic literature, Herod is not a, a, a free person. He's not a, a, a citizen of any kind. He's a slave boy. Uh, was that really true? No, I mean, he was the son of Antipater. Antipater was a, a, an employee of Hyrcanus, or a political handler of Hyrcanus. And Herod is a governor of a province. He's not a slave. But... Herod is the so-called the slave of the Hasmonean family. He put his eyes upon a certain young girl. Now when we say Tinoket, we don't mean a baby, but it means a young maiden. One day, he heard he heard a, a heavenly voice, which, which proclaimed, Any slave who rebels today will be successful. So Kam Katle Lukulhu Marute, he executed all of his masters, Vishyalahautin Yunukta, but he left alive just that one little girl. Kihazatahi Yunukta the Kabala Minsava, when the girl saw that she that he wanted to marry her, Salika Le Igra, she went up to the roof, Viramakala, and she screamed out the following in a very loud voice. Amra, Komanda Ativa Amarbibet Khashmunaika Atina, Anyone in the future who will say that they, they came from the Hasmonean family, Avdahu, is in fact a slave. Because the only one left from the family is me. And I'm about to commit suicide by jumping off this roof. So that was, she yelled out. Okay? And she jumped off the roof and died. So Herod embalmed her for seven years in honey. Like she made a, like a Stalin or a Mao Tse tongue out of her, uh, you know, a, a, a corpse. Uh, Ika, embalmed, yeah. Uh, Ika de Amri ba'alea, Ika de Amri lo ba'alea. So some say he had sexual relations with her, the corpse, and some say he didn't. De Amri la ba'alea, the one who says that he had uh, relations with her, hadatamya, latuvi yitzre, that the reason why he embalmed her was to satisfy his sexual urges. De Amri la lo ba'alea, the ones who say he didn't have relations with her, why did he preserve her? In order to be able to tell people that I married the daughter of the king. Now, what, what, are, we, what are we to make of this, this uh, uh, Talmudic passage? A few things. 
Uh, what? <laughs> uh, we, uh, there are a few key, key points to learn from this passage. Number one, like I said, the tendency to call Herod a slave and not recognize that he was a free person of Idumean extra- ex- extraction who you know, ascended to the throne quasi-legitimately through you know, Roman uh, patronage. Secondly, the idea that he killed everyone except for her. Well, in fact, he did kill a lot of the Hasmoneans. And so rabbinic literature is trying to preserve the memory that Herod was a butcher. Um, Except that he also killed Mariamne eventually. She didn't commit suicide. Others committed suicide. She was executed. The idea that she was preserved um, in honey is to show the, uh, the deviant nature of Herod. Not just that he committed murder like a lot of people commit murder, but that he was, there was something especially bizarre about him, which there was. I mean, most people, even when they commit murder, don't execute various family members um, or almost all their family members. So by, by in- injecting the, 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 the deviant sexual angle, it shows how, how, how god-awful he really was in many ways. Um, and uh, this business of... Okay, so next week we'll discuss the bulk of his career. Today we're discussing how he eliminated the Hasmoneans, the last of the Hasmoneans. Next week we'll talk about when they're all gone and he's actually in control, what does he do of a positive nature and a negative nature, but positive is that he rebuilds the temple. Okay, so, but also, this idea that he, pre- he preserved her to prove that he was married to uh, the daughter of a king. Well, there's, a, there's an inherent contradiction in, in this story as preserved in the Talmud. The Talmud says he didn't marry her, she committed suicide. But then it says, no, but he preserved her to show that he married the daughter of a king. Well, did they get married or did they not get married? So the Talmud is tacitly admitting that yes, they did get married. Uh, but uh, she... Re- she could have married a dead body? Well, no, it's, it's, it's acknowledging the last line that they got married, but that she was against it. So, it's, so the Talmud is preserving the... Uh, the um, the memory of the sort of chastity or morality of Mariamne, that she wasn't a, a, a loose woman who tried to marry an evil man, that she was an, a, a, a good girl, and she didn't want to have nothing to do with him. Okay. We're um, not discussing at all any, in this discussion, yeah. no motivations for the killings. Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to a motivation for every single killing. Each, each death has its own reason. Uh, sometimes a good reason, sometimes not such a good reason. Okay. Um, now, one last point is this idea that she yelled out, anybody who claims that they're a Hasmonean is really this, uh, a slave. So that's not true. Because in fact, they had children. Mariamne and Herod had three children who survived uh, infancy. And one of them will be uh, the, uh, the father of Agrippa I. So Agrippa I, who was, was the king of Judea in the 40s, we'll get to him maybe a month from now, a month and a half from now, and was like the last good king, and rabbinic literature speaks positively of him, he was a grandson of Herod through the Mariamne line. So he was Herodian and Hasmonean. Is that Herod Agrippa? Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, Agrippa I. So uh, this, this Talmudic statement is false. The idea that anyone who claims to be a Hasmonean is really a slave, no, it's not true. There were people of mixed lineage, who had from Herod, but also from Mariamne, which means from Hyrcanus and all the way back to Matityahu, you know, and uh, the, all the, the heroes of the Hanukkah story. Okay. Uh, if so, why, why does the Talmud make this claim, if it's not really true? Because some would argue 
that the rabbis didn't like the Hasmoneans and wanted to sort of uh, uh, speak ill of the, 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 uh, the lineage of anyone who would claim to be a Hasmonean. The problem with that, however, is we know from historically and from other t- rabbinic uh, passages that the rabbis did not really frown upon the later Hasmoneans pe- or people who claimed to be descended from them. And they were actually treated as like an elite of society. So if you claim that you know, your great-great-great-great-grandpa was, was Judah Maccabee or was Simon or, or Yonatan, that was like a positive thing. It's like being descended from the, 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 the Balatanya or the Chsam Sofer. I mean, people will go around saying, my great-great-grandfather was some big Rebbe in Europe 150 years ago. And that's, you know, that's good yichus. In the ancient days, that was also true about the Hashmonaim. So it's not really correct to say that they were trying to badmouth the later Hasmoneans. It's not, not really true. Okay, let's continue. So, Herod is on the run. Antigonus is in control. But Antigonus has a problem. His problem is that he wants to be the boss. Like his, uh, his daddy was the boss, briefly, and his grandfather was the boss. But that means being king and being Kohen Gadol. How can he be Kohen Gadol if there already is one? What do you do? Okay, so you can't kill him. He can't. You can deform him. Make him a, a balmum. So Herc, old Hyrcanus II, old man Hyrcanus II, is still the high priest after all these years. Remember, he, t- he became high priest in the year 76 when his father Alexander Yanai died. All right, he was high priest for nine years while his mother, Salome Alexandra, was the queen. Then he was on the ropes for four years during the Civil War when his brother Aristobulus was the high priest. But then when Pompey took over, he made Hyrcanus the, the Kohen Gadol again. And from 63 all the way to the year 40, all those years, despite all the political turmoil, Hyrcanus remained the high priest. Well, now Antigonus, his nephew, says, not anymore, pal. So what does he do? He bites off his uncle's ear. That's gross. That's terrible. But he does it. It's unclear whether it was one year or two years, but one year would have been enough to make him a Balmum. The second year was just for the fun of it. I don't know. But, but, he, but he bites off the ear, makes him a Balmum. So Hyrcanus now doesn't know what to do with himself. His nephew has ousted him from power, from ecclesiastical power, and who knows if he'll kill him. Hyrcanus runs away to, um, uh, to Babylonia, where he is... Uh, accepted as, as a VIP, as a sort of a hero of the Jewish people by the local community. So he stays out of Eretz Yisrael just because he's uncertain what kind of a, a relationship he could possibly have with a nephew who deformed him. All right. All the while, Hyrcanus is, is waiting for the opportunity to come back to Israel. Now, he can never become a Kohen Gadol again because he's deformed. And he probably can't become king because that era is long over of there being Judahite king, Judean kings. But still, he would like to go home. There's nothing like going home. So for four years, he hangs out in Babylonia waiting for his opportunity to come home. Well, he'll get that opportunity because Herod will invite him back. What happens now? Herod goes to Rome where he beseeches the Senate for the opportunity to go back to the land of Israel and defeat the Parthians, defeat Antigonus, and become a loyal vassal king to the Roman state, which is now the Roman Empire. This This is the year 40. Shockingly, the the Roman Senate says yes. 
and he's walked out of the Senate wearing the purple, the, the official attire of a king, together with Octavian and with Mark Antony, who at that point are still buddies before they have their falling out. Um, and he is given an army to sail across the Mediterranean back to the land of Israel, where he's going to fight a battle to secure his kingdom. Okay? But this war takes time. All right? Uh, it takes time. And in 38, he's able to conquer the Galilee. In 37, he lays a siege around Jerusalem. But before he uh, bothers to finish off the siege works, he goes to Samaria, where he consummates his marriage to Mariamne. Remember I said they had a long engagement. He finally is able to, to get his wife. Uh, and but the problem is he was already married. He was married to a woman named Doris, and they had a son. So he disowned her, he divorced her, and got rid of the son uh, in order to take the new wife. Uh, he never really was polygamous. Uh, he, he just had a succession of wives, one after the other. When he got tired of one, he would get rid of her, either through divorce or death. Okay. By that time, was there any more people? The, the custom was not to be polygamous. Even though it's not against the laws of Judaism, it may have been against the laws in the Roman, uh, in the Roman state at that point. I don't, I don't know for sure. It probably was. Uh, so he was never polygamous. But it wasn't a problem for him. He could eliminate a wife very easily. Okay. Um, he goes back to Jerusalem, where the siege is successful. In July of the year 37, the Roman soldiers break through the city walls. The fighting continues all the way until the inner courtyard of the temple, the Azara of the temple, which means that Antigonus's boys and, and the nationalists, were, this was a real fight to the death for them. This was not some kind of uh, war for the fun of it. They really believed that they were the last stand of Jewish nationalism against this foreign invasion uh, being conducted by a pseudo-Jew named Herod. Okay, they fight to the last man. Antigonus is alive at the end of the battle, and there's a machlaikis among the historians what happens to him. According to Josephus, he was beheaded, and according to Diocassius, he was crucified. But either way, he was dead. Uh, and um, if he was crucified, this was the only time in recorded history that a king, a regnant king, upon being defeated, was, was given the ignominious punishment of crucifixion, normally reserved for like uh, thieves and low-level criminals. Okay, that's why Jesus was crucified, because he was a nobody. Um, but here Antigonus, crucified, it's a real disgrace. Okay, and it was done uh, on, on Mark Anthony's orders uh, at Antioch. Okay, so now uh, Herod is in control. Herod is in control. The question that, that comes up, what does he do to all the Jews who in the past had opposed him? Remember, Herod is not popular locally. He's not really a Jew. I mean, he's a Jew by religion, but only by accident. And he's not, a, he's not a Jew by nationality or ethnicity, and he's not really loyal to the, to, to the notion of a Judean state, only one that's ruled by him. So he kills all the members of the Sanhedrin, except for uh, Shmaev of Talion. Uh, selects few survive, but he kills a lot of people. And actually, in the battle against Jerusalem, his soldiers are, are murdering and pillaging, doing all sorts of horrible crimes, and he has to bribe them to stop. It got that bad. But he himself executes certain VIPs who he doesn't want to be, uh, doesn't want to have to worry about them being a, a threat to him. Okay. Um, 
the old man Antigonus, uh, and old man Hyrcanus, was brought back from his exile. Why? Because he could no longer be high priest and was basically not a threat anymore. So, Her- so Herod wins brownie points with the people for bringing back an old popular figure named Hyrcanus, who no longer is a threat. But younger members of the Hasmonean family who could serve as high priest would be a threat to him. So who, who becomes the high priest? Herod is a king, but he can't be a Kohen Gadol. He's not, he's not a Kohen. He's barely Jewish. Who does he appoint? Got to get a Kohen somewhere. What do you do? So he does a smart move. He brings in a nobody from nowhere, from the Chutzlaretz, who is totally beholden to Herod for his appointment. Chanam El Hamitzri, Hanamel the, the Egyptian, by bringing a diaspora Kohen with no local credentials, it guarantees that this figure will never be a threat. Never be a threat. But, Alexandra is upset. Why is she upset? Because Alexandra, who is the mother-in-law of Herod, Mariamne's mother, has a son named... Um, Aristobulus. And Aristobulus is a legitimate Kohen in line possibly for the high priesthood. After all, he is the grandson of Aristobulus uh, II and the son of Alexander and the great and the great grandson of uh, Alexander Yanai and the great great grandson of John of John Hercules I. So make him the high priest. Well, how old is this kid? can't be very old, because if he's the, 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 sister, the, the, the sibling of Mariamne, who herself was very young, so he was only 17. The tradition was never to appoint a Kohen Gadol that young. You appointed a Kohen Gadol who, who had years under his belt of service. So a 17-year-old kid, not such a good idea. But Herod was, was, was uh, really badgered by his mother-in-law, and so he allows the kid to take office. And in the year 36... On Sukkot, on the Feast of Tabernacles, he puts on the regalia and functions as the Kohen Gadol. All right, much to the delight of the crowd, because the crowd wants to see Asmonean high priest. But uh, Herod isn't, doesn't like this one bit, because he knows the kid's going to be an upstart and want to be king one day. So they have a party, you know, a July 4th barbecue at Jericho, and while they're in the pool uh, playing the water polo, some of Herod's goons joking around, they take the uh, Aristobulus kid and put his head under the water. Except instead of letting him come up for air after 10 seconds, they kept his head down for 3 minutes and he was dead. Uh, Herod pretended that he, he was saddened by it. This is a terrible tragedy. But he ordered the hit. Very clear. He ordered the hit. So he, kill, he killed his brother-in-law, um, his young brother-in-law, who was a threat to him. Uh, and now he could bring back Hanamel HaMitzri uh, to be high priest again. So, the problem with this action is that Alexandra is horribly uh, upset about the death of her son, and she turns to Cleopatra to summon Herod for a, 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 you know, a judgment that he killed someone, he killed an innocent man. But Herod is smart. He knows that there's no such thing as justice in this world. There's only bribery. So he brings a lot of kesef with him, and he gives it to Mark Antony in 34, and he, he's dismissed uh, as innocent. 
So he, he doesn't get punished for the, for the murder of Aristobulus. But this leads to um, a chain of events that is very gruesome. While Herod was away from home, he didn't trust his household that he left behind to behave properly. And he also didn't know whether or not he would survive the trip to Egypt. Because maybe he'd be found guilty, because he really was guilty, and he would never come back. But he loved Mariamne so much that he wanted her to die if he were to die. That she couldn't possibly outlive him and then marry another man. His love for her was so strong, he wanted her to die if he were to die. So he ordered his uncle and brother-in-law, Joseph, his uncle was his brother-in-law, married to his sister Salome, um, that if he doesn't return, he should kill Mariamne. Well, that's a very nice thing to think of. Um, Why did he instruct this? Because Salome herself was up to no good. She hated her husband, Joseph, and hated her uh, sister-in-law, and wanted them both to get in trouble. So she hatched a plot that she would accuse Joseph and Mariamne of having an affair while Herod was away, in order to get both of them executed. So what happens? Uh, Mariamne finds out... Well, first of all, uh, when Herod comes back alive, he doesn't believe the calumny against Mariamne that she committed adultery. He says, no way she committed adultery. She's loyal to me, we're in love, uh, love, love, love. No way she committed adultery. But she finds that he finds out, Herod, that Mariamne knew of the instructions given to Joseph that if Herod were to die, that Joseph was to kill her. And he thinks to himself, the only way Joseph would have revealed that information is what? If they were in bed having an affair. So then he believes it, and he kills his, his brother-in-law, his uncle Joseph, uh, on the theory that he was intimate with the wife. Okay. Um, in the very same year, uh, Herod had the, uh, the mortification of being obliged to receive Cleopatra at Jerusalem when she was inspecting the, uh, the domains, including the district of Jericho. So Herod doesn't like Cleopatra. He's, he's able to bribe Antony periodically and, and, and save his neck, but he doesn't like Cleopatra, who was listening to other members of his household and uh, listening to accusations against him, especially that of his mother-in-law. So, all right, now you have the first time around where Joseph gets killed. Then we have another round where the wife will get killed. So in the civil war between Antony and Octavian, Herod, who um, previously was allied with Antony, um, now has a problem because he doesn't know who to support. Um, he learns that his, his prior protector, Antony, has been defeated at the Battle of Actium. He must somehow, some way, uh, align himself with Octavian and hope that Octavian accepts his offer of friendship and allows him to maintain his control over the country. So one thing he does is to have Hyrcanus killed. Old man Hyrcanus, still alive after all these years, but without ears. How is he a threat? If Herod has to leave the country temporarily to secure an alliance with Octavian, then Hyrcanus could say, I'm the king again. I'm the king. After all these years, I'm the king. So what does Herod do? He says, oh, you plotted against me with the Nabataeans. You're dead. Kills him. So this was the the grandfather of his wife. Now uh, it gets even worse. 
So in the spring of 30, Herod goes to, to the island of Rhodes to meet Octavian and uh, promises to be a friend, and the deal works. Octavian allows Herod to remain king. But while he's away, he doesn't trust that he'll come back alive, and he doesn't want anyone to marry Mariamne after his death. So what does he do? He tells a fellow named Sohemus, if I don't come back alive, what do you do? Kill the wife. All right? So he comes back alive. Um, although there had been rumors of his death. And uh, while away, there were accusations made by Salome that Mariamne had relations with Sohemus. So Sohemus was executed, and Mariamne was given a trial. And at the trial, she was condemned by her own mother and executed. So Herod kills his wife. Now, why would Mariamne's own mother testify against her, especially if the accusation wasn't true? To save her own neck, because she knew she was next. She figures, if I go state's evidence against my own daughter, Herod won't kill me. But did it work? Apparently not, because she was dead within a year. Okay, so now what happens next? After Herod executes his wife, he is horribly depressed, because he really did love her. That's the, the crazy thing about this whole story is he's killing everyone. He really did love the wife. And when he says, I want her executed if, if I die, he meant it as a, as a token of love. I mean, it's a bizarre and crazy one, but he really meant it. Um, and so he's moping around the palace, doesn't know what to do with himself, has horrible remorse over the fact that he executed his wife over a trumped-up charge. And um, while he, he goes hunting in Samaria to, to ease his pain, just like sometimes people go fishing or they go to the ball game or they go, they go bowling. People, people do different things to, to, to get over the depression, sporting activities. So he goes hunting in Samaria and, he, and he's ill. And he's not taking his, med- his, his uh, psychological drugs. So a rumor comes back to Jerusalem that he died up in Samaria. Well, Alexandra is the only, is the only one left of the Hasmoneans still alive. She is the daughter of, uh, of, uh, of Hyrcanus. Okay? Her father is dead. Her daughter is dead. Her brother is dead. Her son is dead. They're all dead. She's still alive. So what does she think to herself? If Herod is gone, I can become the queen. So she announces that she's the queen. She usurps the kingdom. Okay? At least uh, takes command of the, the, uh, of the key buildings in Jerusalem and says, I'm in control. She takes the fortresses and this is reported back to Herod, and he comes back in full force, and he executes his mother-in-law in the year 28. So, um, this is the end of the, the era of the, of the true Hashmonaim, because everyone else who follows, and we'll see there are more, are half Herodian, half Hashmonai. But, they all, but all the, the pure Hashmonaim have been assassinated. That's the story of Herod. Now, in the... the uh, the rabbinic literature, when we speak about Herod, so every now and then you'll have a positive reference to what he did. Not in, re- in relation to the people he killed, but into uh, the buildings that he constructed. And that the Bayit Cheney is credited after his name. Next week we'll talk about all those things. But the first half of his career is that essentially of just a butcher, not of a builder of structures or of the economy. That will come next. And in, in, in truth, all the good things that he does in the latter half of his career are to make up for the fact that in the earlier part of his career, he was so despised and detested, not only for being an outsider, but for being an outsider who, who killed all the insiders. 
the, uh, the biblical example of that, if you know your, your, your Chumash and your Rashis, is who? Who is the outsider who kills an insider? Except that the outsider was a good guy. So Pinchas kills Zimri and Cosby. And if you go to the Rashi, what does it say about, about uh, Pinchas? That the people uh, uh, mocked him, saying that his grandfather fattened calves for idolatry, and he killed a, a prince of Israel. Meaning that Yitro, who was his grandfather, because his father was Elazar, and Elazar married a daughter of Yitro, so the grandfather was an idolater, a Shagetz, okay? And yet, he had the, the chutzpah to, to assassinate one of the twelve Nisiyim of, 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 of Bnei Yisrael. Now, the truth is, he did a good thing. He killed a man who was, having, who was fornicating with, with, with a Midianite princess. But that's the attitude that the, that the, that the populace had towards Pinchas. You can imagine, Alachas Kamavakama, all the more so, the attitude of the common man towards Herod, who is this outsider, this Idumian, no one really likes, and he's killing all the people who were beloved to the people. Okay. So, since he wasn't uh, going to be a, a popular figure, he has to do something to uh, secure their allegiance, which he never fully gets, but at least he builds a few good buildings in the process. Okay, uh, now what about, uh, just to sum up the, the, the period of the Hashmonaim, the pure Hashmonaim. When they came to power in the 140s, they were very, very popular. In, in 142, when Shimon becomes the Rosh Hever HaYehudim, the leader of the congregation of, of, Jude, of Judeans, okay, this was with the consent of the governed. This was not a, a usurpation of authority by some, you know, some family of, of, of backwater priests from Modin without any uh, consent of the people. No, they, they, they agreed to it. Why? Because the five Maccabean brothers had dedicated their lives for the, uh, the cleansing of the temple and for the uh, liberation of the countryside from Macedonian rule, from Seleucid rule. The people loved those guys. When did the relationship with the people go south? When was, when was it spoiled? Well, we know that relationship with, under, with, with, with the people with John Hyrcanus I was up and down. It was rocky. Because early in his career, he was a bit of a failure. And then later, they disliked him because although he was successful in war, he hired foreign mercenaries and he, and he caused the people to have to be subject to the draft too much. I, he was not 100% a, a, a beloved figure. He was a mixed, mixed bag. Yanai was hated. Why? Partly for religious reasons, because, the, because he uh, d- disobeyed the Pharisees. Partly because he killed a lot of people, including in the temple courtyard, he killed 6,000 in the episode of the, of the pelting of the Esrogim. And because he fought unnecessary wars of expansion, in which people died. Okay, so he was not very well-liked. Salome Alexandra was reasonably well-liked by the Pharisees, because sh- she put them in government. Um, but did everyone else like her? It's hard to know. She was a very wily figure. Uh, she knew how to preserve her authority, um, but we, we don't really know the popular attitude towards her. In, in her legacy, her name has become Shlom Sion HaMalka, like a positive name. And in rabbinic literature, she's seen as the good one who protected the rabbis, like Shimon ben Shatach, against her husband who tried to kill the rabbis. Then we go to the, the, the civil war of Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. Both of them are seen negatively in hindsight, but in the moment... Each one of them had their supporters. Aristobulus among the nationalists, 
And Hyrcanus, among the common man in Jerusalem who thought he was a nice guy, a nice Kohen Gadol, who didn't, didn't mean any harm. Okay, but neither one was a, a truly heroic figure. Each one had supporters, but only uh, factional support. And as for Antigonus, we said, he was hated by the, by the Qumran people, and probably was not well liked by the Pharisees, because he was a Sadducee, and he was, and he was eliminated very quickly. And as for the last few who were executed by Herod, no one really liked them, because they were just in it for themselves. And when they got executed, nobody really shed a tear over them. It was an in-house uh, cleansing by Herod. I mean, uh, when, when you have a royal family that's, that's butchering itself, it's hard to uh, really feel bad for any one of them. You sort of say a pox on all of them. Uh, and that's what happened. With the possible exception of, Arist- of Aristobulus III, who was only 17 and was drowned, and really through no fault of his own. When he died, there was uh, a popular uh, uh, backlash against Herod over it. But for the most part, the latter Hasmoneans were not well-liked because of various flaws in their character or because of factional differences in the community. And when they were gone, that was it. It's n- nobody was really uh, rallying for the... For the uh, uh, the restoration of Hasmonean rule. They were just upset that Herod was such a fen- was, was, was such a crazy man, and when he died, we'll see in a few weeks, there was a hope that his children would not take over, and there would actually be either a Messiah, the Messiah complex came up, or just direct Roman rule, because crazy people are the worst of all possibilities. So that's we'll stop here and next time we'll talk about the good the good years of Herod.